0: podcast that provides terrific pearls on concussion for adults and children both at the professional and community level. You'll hear first from John Patricius and then from Paul Macquarie and I caught them both between sessions at the IOC Advanced Team Physician course in Cape Town in November of 2016. Jumping into a case where a player is let's say playing soccer and has what seems like a concussion, and an important thing, John, is that there have been previous concussions in this scenario as well.
1: Yes, I think the point we'd like to make is that there needs to be an awareness in whatever clinical scenario you're working in about concussion. So knowing the player's history in a previous uh, incident of concussion is obviously significant, as is looking out for potential incidents that might lead to concussion on the field. So recognize and remove is a a phrase that we try and promote in terms of identifying players on the field. And If there's any hint of a potential concussion from the signs the player is showing uh, and the symptoms that they they might um, tell you about or you might ask about then they need to be removed from the field and a more formalized process followed in terms of assessing that player.
0: Before you get to the field, I know you do a lot of work that you shared with us at the IOC Team Physician course. I mean, what's the preparation before you get to a game and before you consider one of these scenarios?
1: So I always talk about setting up a network to support your players in in the case of concussion. And that starts well beforehand uh, in terms of educating people around the clubs, schools, etc. So whether you're working with professional athletes or children, there needs to be an education process about concussion and about the processes that are going to be followed should a case of concussion be suspected. And that includes formulating a network around you to support that player, teaching people to identify concussions, what to do on the field in the case of potentially more severe head injuries, in other words, first aid, emergency protocols need to be in place. And you need to have a group of clinicians around you depending on your level of expertise that can support you. So that would be hospital-based clinicians, it might be specialists in the field, people who have a knowledge about concussion management. And that creates a greater safety net in which to apply the protocols which are appropriate to the player suspected of having a concussion.
0: If we think of two levels of listeners, there'll be those who uh, are in a fairly professional setting where they can access a range of clinicians, and there'll be other folks listening who are in a community setting where there isn't much support. How would your principles of setting up a network apply in those two settings?
1: So I think the concussion in sport group has acknowledged that, and so they've formulated over the years a, a series of tools which are appropriate for each of those groups. So in the sort of layperson scenario where people are not medically qualified to manage these concussions on the sideline, there's the pocket concussion recognition tool, which really highlights those important signs and and symptoms to look out for, the red flags of potential more serious injury, and that's a straight, recognize the potential for concussion, remove that player and get them to a scenario where they can be clinically evaluated. In terms of people with more expertise, that's where the sports concussion assessment tool, the SCAT tools come into play, and there are the adult tools for 13 and over, and the child SCAT for 12 and under. And those are exceptionally detailed tools in terms of the amount of information available on it and the processes to be followed. That requires a a process which takes probably at least 10 minutes and should be done off the field of play to assess the potential for concussion. And then that needs to be followed up by formal medical evaluation and working towards a return to school and a return to play process. If you just go and Google SCAT 3, it'll take you uh, to the BJSM website, probably, where you're gonna find the uh, latest publication, which was in 2012, and then uh, you just print those PDF versions off uh, but I would implore people to read the instructions very carefully. Even amongst the experts, we find that the detail in terms of applying, for instance, the balance assessments and the cognitive assessments uh, is not always applied. So I think that's very, very important to read the detail and follow it uh, to the T so that you get the most accurate sideline screen possible and follow up with uh, the most accurate clinical evaluation.
0: And what about symptoms like balance and vision disturbances?
2: Um, These turn out to be fairly important overall. Um, Most of the people who concussed will have some sort of balance disturbance. The more detailed assessments you do of their balance function and their eye function, the more you realise they also have issues in that regard. So it does come back to somebody able to assess those things, such as a sports physician or a neurologist, and the more comprehensive concussion clinics should have formal instrumented type assessments, machines that are able to measure balance in more great, greater detail so that individualised programs can be prescribed. But at the basic level, sports physicians should be able to provide some sort of assessment of people's balance and eye function. People who have a history of depression or anxiety um, invariably have an increase in their symptoms after concussion and that sometimes needs to be managed with the help of psychologists or even medication. Almost one in two athletes who have a concussion will have some sort of mood or behavioural disturbance after concussion. So these are common symptoms and we need to be aware of them and treat them appropriately when they occur.
0: And from memory listening to you speak uh, Paul, did you say that only 10% of concussions are associated with loss of consciousness or do I get that number wrong?
2: No, it's it, overall it was um, uh, at the IOC Advanced Team Physician Conference John mentioned that figure and it's true, about 10% of people who are concussed have a loss of consciousness. More often um, it's collisions and so forth without loss of consciousness. Sometimes it's a whiplash type mechanism with no hit to the head at all but it can still cause the symptoms of concussion.
0: Before we leave the adults, there's the work of Catherine Schneider that's been published in BJSM and in other places. Um, and conversations about a more active rehab of concussion, whereas the previous document was about cognitive and physical rest. Can you give our listeners a preview on what might be happening there?
2: That's right. In the last five years or so, there's been a real shift away from the concept of rest. Um, Previously, we used to say to people, have complete physical and cognitive rest. Um, Well, now the view is people should rest in the acute stage for 24 hours or so, and then start some sort of rehabilitation program. Clearly in the early stages it's going to be limited by their symptoms um, and they're not trying to provoke symptoms as they do things, so it's really modified rest. So they can still watch television or play games or go for a walk providing it doesn't bring their symptoms back on. So it's really moving in many ways like the rest of sports medicine. It's about active rehabilitation or modified rehabilitation in the early stages rather than seeing it as a... Situation where you have to take to your bed and be there for days or weeks. Um, so that's been a big change. Now you mentioned Catherine Schneider. <coughs> She's published a very good randomised controlled trial of vestibular and neck rehabilitation in concussion, and found it to be quite an effective strategy, particularly for people with prolonged symptoms. Most of the concuss- concussion uh, comprehensive concussion centres are now using those sort of strategies routinely.
0: So let's talk about kids, because I know of parents who are at a sideline, and then a player has a pretty obvious concussion for medical standards, but the coach isn't medical, there's no one medical, and they put the magic sponge and try and get the kid back out to play. What advice do you have?
1: Yeah, I think just as, as with the adults, but probably even more important with the kids is to have a strategy, and not only that, but a policy in place. So I would implore that uh, there's a policy in place at uh, a school or a club as to how you're going to manage these cases. And that way it's, it's pretty clear cut you can get everybody on board and everybody understands, so it's not a surprise when a kid with potential f- uh, concussion is removed and put through an assessment process. So I think that's very, very important. And obviously in the developing brain one wants to be not overly conservative, but one's concerned and uh, doesn't want that kid having multiple injuries or being exposed to further knocks when they're still recovering. Uh, moreover, they're often, often in a learning environment, so that decision in terms of returning to learning, returning to school, is a very important one in a child and that needs to be brought into play in terms of the management process. So I think, the as Paul has said, the process is one of initial rest, both cognitive and physical, but then weaning them back first into the return to learning and then the return to sport. Uh, and that's a phased approach depending on how the badly the kids are f- uh, affected, what the symptoms are and how they respond to those stresses. Uh, I think it's important to maintain perspective. I find that important with, with parents, there's often panic. Uh, the our, our Awareness of concussion is very heightened because of press exposure recently, so it's important just to, as the clinician, I think, uh, be a voice of calm and reason and fall back on our clinical protocols and understanding and say they're in place, not to keep the child out of school and to keep them off the sports field, but to wean them back. In a controlled way. And I think our policies have moved from sort of lying in a dark room for a few days uh, to be a bit cynical and exaggerated through to let's get you functional again. And I think a good clinician will identify those aspects that need rehabilitation and initiate those processes in children and adults. But the return to learning is an important process for, for children. Keeping them out of that environment might actually heighten anxieties and concerns about their recovery. So the sooner and and more appropriately you can wean them back, the better.
0: And so a short version for a parent who's not medically trained, and you're a parent who is medically trained, what are some guidelines? You're saying there should be a protocol, and there's obviously a range of ways of doing it, but if you were just to say one way that works might include these three or four steps?
1: So I think the first thing, again, is if your school or club doesn't have a policy in place to look at putting one in place. So that policy would be based on education to start with, Paul spoke a little bit about uh, neurocognitive testing. Um, I think it a, it's a can be a useful tool. I like it as part of the education process, going in talking a little bit about why we test for concussion, and it gives an opportunity as to say, uh, this, is, this is the process we're going to follow in the school. Uh, what, what's not appropriate is sort of just distance, unsupervised testing. That has no place in, uh, in, in children at all. So that's the first thing. Education, setting up some sort of screening process, and then the the processes that follow. That will be a field-side process, recognize and remove. That's got to be the message. If you suspect it, remove that kid. They don't go back to play that day until they've been formally assessed. They move into a system which invo- involves a medical doctor, must see a medical doctor for clearance, and a doctor who has experience in concussion management, and they'll then guide them as to Uh, how long to stay away from school, how long to stay away from activity, and then in a serial uh, assessment basis. In other words, you'll probably see that clinician more than once or talk to them more than once about where you are in the recovery process and what the appropriate steps are, which may take longer than an adult. So you may see a professional sportsman returning in seven days. That may not be appropriate for a child. I think parents need to understand that. But the key is education, having a process in place, and a go-to clinician who understands that process.
2: I would support exactly what John's saying. One of the things from the mild traumatic brain injury literature over many years, both for children as well as adults, is that the provision of education at the time of the injury is the single most important factor to reduce anxiety and ongoing symptomatology. So that can be a brochure, it can be a book, it can be a downloadable resource, which They can read, parents can read, and understand the steps that people go through as part of the recovery, what's normal, what's not normal, and so forth. And as I said, in the mild traumatic brain injury literature, this is a very, very powerful tool to get recovery occurring as quickly as possible.
0: And, just you brought up the term mild traumatic brain injury, so we probably should clarify on the podcast that you feel concussions usually not in that category?
2: Um, Yes, this was discussed again in Berlin. Basically, uh, concussion is a form of traumatic brain injury in the broader sense, but the way we separate out the gradations of traumatic brain injury in terms of mild, moderate and severe are based on a Glasgow Coma Score, which is a a way of assessing all head injuries. Concussion doesn't fit into that category, it's too mild. So if you like, it's milder than mild injury, uh, but we don't use the terms interchangeably. The Glasgow Coma Score um, scores people on their conscious state from 3 to 15, 15 being completely normal. Um, people with concussion invariably are 15, and therefore they don't fall into the category of hospitalised head injury or needing neurosurgical intervention and so forth. So it's milder than mild injury, but it's not the same in terms of the way it's formally assessed.
0: So just as we move to closing up this podcast, Paul and John... Um, CTE has to be discussed there was a big movie and chronic traumatic encephalopathy is now part of the day to day language uh, comment on that
2: um, we were lucky in Berlin at the consensus meeting that we had the, uh, a committee of people looking at that area and we had the best people in the world from all the main research groups the clinical groups gathered together in one place actually discussing it and the bottom line was that Although it was recognised that um, some athletes do have chronic neurological problems, we don't know the percentage of athletes who get this, nor do we know the risk factors at this point in time. The idea that concussion or even repetitive sub-concussive impacts is the cause is really not proven at this stage. So that's a fairly clear statement. And when you look at the other evidence, what we're seeing come through is that there are studies around the world, brain bank studies, where people who don't participate in sport, people who have no head injury, are also being shown to have the same neuropathology changes that we see in footballers. So the story is becoming a little bit more confused in one sense, that it may be a risk that some footballers have related to genetics or some other intrinsic factor that we haven't yet discovered, Um, but the story's got a long way to go. But certainly it's not the big fear that um, the media sort of make it out to be. And I think it's important to say with the Berlin meeting, you know, this was a process that went on for 18 months or so reviewing the evidence and almost 60,000 papers were reviewed as part of the lead up to the conference. So some of the other outcomes were things like impact sensors weren't found to be useful at all. Um, the idea that a single biomarker will be able to diagnose concussion again is a bit of a holy grail, but unlikely to be fruitful in the foreseeable future. So there were some really hard outcomes that will be spelled out in the consensus statement when it's published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine in February of 2017.
0: And John, you've been our host here in South Africa for this IOC Advanced Team Physician course and you and Paul were both in Berlin, so you've been travelling quite a bit. Do you have last words and thoughts about concussion before we close it off?
1: Yes, I think concussion needs to become uh, better understood by clinicians. They need to Take hold of the protocols which are out there and become familiar with them. And my take home message would be that the education is now available. Put a process in place. No matter where you are uh, in your office, on the sideline, at school level, club level, professional level, put a process in place. Understand the protocols, uh, apply them, and make sure that there's a greater safety net around uh, our players. Most sports teams probably won't have a physician with them on the side of the field, and so the, the sports physiotherapist will play the major role in the recognizing and, and removing mm-hmm. protocol. So I think they need to come to terms with that uh, concussion recognition tool, they need to understand how the SCAT works, and they need to have that referral network that includes a doctor who is of with the protocols around concussion. So they need to be part of the process. And then increasingly, I'm using physiotherapists as part of the rehabilitation process. A lot of symptoms attributed to concussion are not necessarily concussion symptoms. They might be cervicogenic, for instance. So having a good physiotherapist that understands that can help with the vestibular rehabilitation. uh, I think they're a big part of the process increasingly.
2: Just I think the take-home message overall from Berlin was concussion is a treatable injury. And I think that really sums up where we're going at the moment, rather than seeing it as an inevitable consequence of trauma. It's something that can be fixed. Um, it's something that athletes who are concussed should have hope that they can be made better. It just needs the right treatment and the right management and the right education overall.
0: So thanks for joining that particular podcast. And there's a tonne of resources on BJSM for concussion as of today. And it will continue to develop during 2017 as BJSM shares the Berlin Concussion in Sport consensus meeting with you.